So who's washing your Jeep this weekend, Mr. Lombardo? The senior car wash, remember? Washing that old Jeep of mine is sort of a waste of time, don't you think? Not at all. How about if Nicole and I do it? We're working as a team. I'll tell you what. I'm going out to the Glade Saturday. Why don't you come over Sunday and you can wash all the mud off? Deal. Two high school students accuse their guidance counselor of rape, but things aren't exactly as they seem. Listen as we chat about James's secret family, rich people flexing with their phones, and Kevin Bacon's well-preserved penis. Then we find out if Wild Things stands the test of time. Time. James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with the blood Alan says as a father blah blah It's the test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Test of Time. My name is Alan Noah, and your name is James Brief. How you doing, James? I'm good. I'm good. I'm feeling fine. We're doing wild things today. How you doing, Al? I'm doing very well. Thank you, James. I'm excited to get into wild things. But before we do, I wanted to talk to you about ChatGPT, because I have been mucking around with it for fun, also for work. And, you know, I am a writer. That's what I do to make money. And so this idea of chat GPT can be a little scary of like, is anyone going to pay me to write anything in the future? Or are people just going to have chat GPT write everything for everyone and I will be obsolete? But I don't think that that's really true. I think that in the future, writers will use AI technology. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to not be scared of it and intimidated by it, but to figure out how I can use it to help improve my writing. But it's also just really fun to do and just kind of like ask it silly questions and, you know, see what it comes up with. So I thought it would be fun to like ask ChatGPT to write some stuff for the podcast and um, I took the liberty of before we hit record, I asked ChatGPT, what is the Test of Time podcast? And I'm going to read you what it wrote. The Test of Time is a podcast that explores classic movies from the 20th century and examines whether they have stood the test of time. Each episode features two hosts, Alan Noah and Nick Jimenez, who select a movie and discuss its plot, themes, and cultural significance. They also examine how the movie was received at the time of its release and how it has been perceived over time. So obviously the thing that it gets wrong is that, you know, sometimes we do talk about movies from the 21st century. Also, it thinks that my co-host is Nick Jimenez, which is pretty funny. I don't know exactly how it got that. I mean, we talk about Nick Capabianco, who we do Nick's Marathon in honor of. We talk about him sometimes. Our theme song is by John Martinez, but I don't have Nick Jimenez anywhere on our website. I'm really not sure where that name comes from. It's my alter ego. I have an entire family in upstate New York. Uh, it's a, one of those whole <gasps> double life things. Yeah, I go by Nick Jimenez. Yeah, Good for and, you. And ChatGPT figured it out. Oh, yeah, I have uh, six kids, Al. I forgot to mention. Wow. That's amazing that, like, me, one of your closest friends, didn't know that, but the AI did. That's kind of like a win for the AI. Yeah, yeah. But, um... I asked it, what do you know about the Test of Time podcast with Alan Noah and James Brief? So oh. mine said the Test of Time podcast is a show hosted by Alan Noah and James Brief in which they re-examine movies, TV shows, and books from the past to determine whether they have stood the test of time. So that's incorrect. Right. Yeah, it says the same things you did, uh, except it says the podcast first launched in 2015 and ended in September 2021. Uh, so that's incorrect huh. as we're recording right now in 2023. And we started in 2016. Yeah, so the topics covered on the show range from classic films like The Godfather, correct, to Casablanca, which has not been reviewed, but we probably mentioned it. Um, they, yeah. We'd also mentioned TV shows like Seinfeld and The Simpsons to books like To Kill a Mockingbird and 1984. I mean, we've definitely mentioned uh, Seinfeld and The Simpsons, but uh, we probably mentioned 1984 at some point in To Kill a Mockingbird, but certainly not enough for ChatGPT to, uh, to have picked up. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, so using it as sort of a almost a reference tool, it's not quite there yet. I have uh, asked in medical questions uh, of increasing difficulty, and uh, it's pretty accurate. But on times that it's been incorrect, if I've clicked on regenerate response, it's gotten the correct response. So, you know, if you ever saw when Jeopardy had um, IBM's computer Watson, do you remember when, when Watson was on Jeopardy? Do you ever see those episodes? I remember hearing about it. I didn't watch it. Yeah, it was like Watson versus Ken Jennings and another uh, champion. I forget who at the moment. But uh, Watson won. Like when it was like, uh, who was the first president? You wouldn't just see Watson thinking that it's George Washington. It would say like 98.2% George Washington, 1.6% John Adams, and like 0.001% Donald Duck. Like you hmm. would see that it's thinking that it's probably the correct answer. Uh, you know, one of those almost pull the audience in who wants to be a millionaire. So it doesn't exactly know everything, but it's it's best guess. But then I tried to uh, use ChatGPT to be a little more creative. And uh, okay. did, did you do this as well? I asked it to write a tease for this episode. I asked it to write our wild things uh, tease that we could record at the beginning. Let's hear what it came up with. I don't think it's good enough to use, especially this first part, which is a caveat where it says, as an AI language model, I strive to remain neutral and not provide subjective opinions. However, I can give some information about the episode of the Test of Time podcast that features the movie Wild Things. In this episode, hosts Alan and Nick, remember, he thinks that my uh, <laughs> co-host is Nick Jimenez, discuss the 1998 thriller Wild Things, which features an all-star cast including Kevin Bacon, Matt Dillon, Nev Campbell, and Denise Richards. The hosts explore the film's twisty plot and its use of multiple unreliable narrators to keep the audience guessing until the very end. They also discuss the film's themes of sexuality, power, and manipulation, and how it reflects the cultural attitudes of the late 1990s. I don't know if we will discuss all of those things, but it's interesting that that's what the AI thinks we will. It also does provide a, another caveat at the end. It says, it's important to note that Wild Things contains adult themes and content that may not be suitable for all audiences, which is very thoughtful of the AI to remind people that, you know, this episode might not be appropriate for everyone. Yeah, when I ask in medical questions, it always starts with a caveat, like, hey, dude, I'm not a doctor, basically. <laughs> um, but I asked ChatGPT, I said, write a poem about Alan Noah and James Brief, the hosts of the Test of Time podcast. I did mention one or two facts about us. So I was thinking okay. it would be fun if we read these uh, one verse at a time. So I'll start. Alan and James, hosts of The Test of Time, a podcast to review movies that once did shine. They delve deep into classics of old and discuss if they're worth time has told. <laughs> Alan Noah with Passion Strong loves Ghostbusters 2 above all songs, but Pearl Harbor he simply hates for its portrayal of history that misstates. You said that I hate Pearl Harbor and love Ghostbusters 2? I did, yes. Um... James Brief, with eloquence so fine, yet mispronounces words from time to time. He brings a wit and humor bright and keeps the show so light. Together they explore, with mind so keen, movies that in the past have been seen. They analyze with critical thought to see if the movies have stood or not. Through time and space they travel far, their passions for movies like a guiding star. And though they may disagree, their friendship is as strong as can be. Aww. Aww. Oh, that's to be where it ends. But okay, there's another one. So let us tune in week after week to hear the thoughts of those who speak. Alan and James, the hosts of the show, guiding us through time to where movies go. Where, where, that's where do a movies weird go? last paragraph. I agree. Thanks, ChatGPT. You blew it in the ending, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... But let's move on from ChatGPT to wild things. Listeners of the podcast know that I'm a sucker for movie anniversaries, and I saw that this movie was celebrating its 25th anniversary, so I was like, okay, we got to talk about wild things. This is a movie that I actually own on DVD. I don't really know why. I'm sure I saw it in a bargain bin somewhere at some point. I assume you own the unrated version. No, I think it's just the regular version, but uh, I have it on DVD. I was like, okay, we've got to talk about Wild Things. Had you seen this movie before? I actually had never seen this film. It's one of those that uh, I had certainly heard about. I knew the scene. I've also never seen Cruel Intentions. Really? Yeah, it's just that same kind of genre of uh, 
sexual films that just kind of passed me over and I just hadn't seen. That's so weird. I mean, you were such like a horny guy in the late 90s. I'm surprised you didn't see those movies. Wait, what? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you were a teenager. You were like a late teenager. We were in a fraternity together. I mean, come on. We know this about each other. It's fine. But for anyone else who hasn't seen the movie, it begins with a well-liked public high school guidance counselor named Sam, played by Matt Dillon. When a student of his named Kelly, played by Denise Richards, fails to capture Sam's attention, she accuses him of rape and recruits another student named Susie, played by Nev Campbell, to accuse him as well. Sam hires a lawyer with questionable ethics named Ken, played by Bill Murray, who exposes Susie and Kelly's lie in court, which leads to Sam receiving a large settlement. Detective Duquette, played by Kevin Bacon, believes there's more to the story and thinks that Sam is a true mastermind of the plot. Susie becomes scared by Duquette, and Sam kills her. Duquette then approaches Kelly, fearing for her safety, but he accidentally kills her. Duquette is then fired from the police force. But wait! Duquette has been working with Sam the whole time, and the real mastermind of the plot was Susie, who's still alive. Sam kills Duquette, Susie kills Sam, and she alone absconds with the money. So there's a lot of twists and turns, and we'll get into all of that. But um, before we do, I will ask you if this movie was a hit at the box office. I did see it in the theater. Uh, the film opened on March 20th, 1998. It opened at number four with $9.6 million. And since this was March 20th, 1998, what was number one? Uh, Titanic. Of course. Uh, the film wound up uh, making $30 million domestically, $68 million worldwide. My research showed it at a $20 million budget. And the film spawned several uh, direct-to-DVD sequels, which were pretty much apparently all the same film. The fourth movie is called foursome <laughs> i mean that makes sense i can't think of a better title for the fourth movie in this franchise quite right. frankly it's only weird in that the first movie was famous for having a threesome and then it took three more sequels for them to get to foursome but whatever i mean earlier when i said i had heard about the scene of course yes uh, they, it came out in 1998 and people were like the girl from starship troopers and uh, the girl from party of five uh, and kevin bacon or rather uh kevin dylan are in a threesome matt dylan uh matt dylan damn it uh, kevin dylan was is the uh, brother of matt dylan um but yeah i don't even think i knew matt dylan at the time it was more like uh nev campbell and denise richards are you know making out and that was basically the, the premise of the film they probably sold it on that the fact that i never seen the film and I knew about that scene you know made it successful well that kind of proves my point that you were horny in the late 90s well the fact that I had heard about a film yes that it had a uh, a threesome with uh, you know two very uh, in the moment uh, hot beautiful women yes I'd heard about that so probably I wouldn't have phrased it that way Al but... <laughs> <laughs> I mean yeah Denise Richards and Nev Campbell are stunningly beautiful in this movie and certainly going to see it as a college freshman I'm sure me and my buddies were like, oh, yeah, when that scene started. Uh, but I'm curious to to get your take on the movie because you hadn't seen it before with all of these different twists and turns and things. When you were watching it, did you kind of think that you knew where it was headed? Were you shocked by any of the, the twists and turns? Well, I'll tell you my first shock. Um, I did not think that this was going to be like a rape film or at least uh, you know so you think in the beginning i was like there's something weird here because like how are these three gonna be in a threesome later in this film however my second big surprise in this film bill murray i had no idea he was in this film and he's fantastic in this film he's very bill murray-esque in the film he's not you know serious actor uh this is classic bill murray i, th- I thought he's great he plays kind of a um, you know, better call Saul, Saul Goodman kind of uh, sleazy personal injury lawyer, which is a great role for him. He's got the fake neck brace, and the premise is that he's the only lawyer, like, sleazy enough to take on this rich family of Denise Richards, who is accusing him of rape. So he successfully defends um, Matt Dillon's character. In the courtroom, uh, Susie, Nev Campbell, she confesses under you know, tougher cross-examination, she confesses that she's been lying about the whole thing and they, they set him up, and which is uh, a terrible thing to happen to him. So, of course, he sues uh, Denise Richards' rich family and gets an $8.5 million settlement. 
Right. I totally agree that Bill Murray's character in this movie is very Saul Goodman-esque. I think that is a, a, a perfect comparison. But like, as you were talking about, like how you were kind of surprised by all of this rape stuff, the thing that I was kind of taken aback at while watching this movie now was like all of the weird things that Sam Lombardo, uh, Matt Dillon's character, is doing at the beginning of the movie. He is a teacher or a guidance counselor or a guidance counselor slash teacher, whatever. He's giving students a ride home after school. There is no goddamn way a teacher with any brains would do that now. You know, Denise Richards asked for a ride home and she's beautiful. And then he's like, oh, okay, you too, to this other kind of, you know, nerdy kid boy. So it's like, all right, there's another person here. So it doesn't seem that weird or that shady. But I don't know, man. I think if uh, you're an attractive male teacher and an attractive female student says, hey, can you give me a ride home? And she's pretty clearly flirting with him. And, you know, we kind of understand later that's part of the the plot is that, you know, people need to see this happening. But like, as a teacher, wouldn't you be like, hey, I'm very sorry that you don't have a ride home. I will call you an Uber. That's a modern thing to do. Or I will help you into the office where you can call some parents. I am not going to give you a ride home. Right. I mean, like, that's insane. Oh, certainly today it's insane to do. Yeah. Perhaps like an older couple, teacher, husband and wife teacher. Sure, they're going to drive you home. That might be the only scenario I could I could see that. Uh, Sam Lombardo, he's a very good looking young-ish guy. And he also apparently has a big reputation for like, he's slept with everyone in this town. You know, not, not in a bad way. Like he's, he's a, you know, he's a playboy. So him with uh, Denise in short shorts, uh, I definitely picked that up. I'm like... Good thing there's a boy in this car, too, but that makes it a little better. But at some point, you have to drop one of them off. So you're going to be alone in the car with only one teenager. So that is kind of weird. And he invites her over to his house to do the car wash that weekend that they're doing for like a fundraiser. And he's like, oh, well, come over to my house. Again, that's part of their plot and everything. So that's why. But like, come on. Odd. You would definitely never, ever do that unless there was something sinister and shady going on. Well, I mean, I would think also people will do that today. They just shouldn't. I mean, even people that have no bad intentions, it's just a line you don't cross there. Sure. You're right. The real reason he does it is because it makes more sense in the plot. But also, like, in this alleged rape, Lombardo says to these girls, you didn't make me come. I could never come with some little girl something like that and that's what kind of ties these two stories together but he says that to kelly the denise richards character and then they're like oh that's too bad otherwise we would have had some physical evidence it's like well there's still a rape kit even if he doesn't ejaculate there would still be some physical evidence you would think if there was a rape they, they would still examine her and try to get some kind of dna clothing something and they just are kind of like eh now nah, why bother I mean, yes, I agree they probably would have done that, but uh, A, even if they had done that, it turns out that uh, Kevin Bacon's character, uh, Duquette, he probably would have thrown away the rape kit anyway, or said they didn't find anything. You know, because if he had DNA on him, there would be no turning around the court case. He would be convicted. Right. Yeah, it's, it's uh, I'm not going to say unrealistic because you hear about all these stories. I don't know much about it. It's what you read online that there's a backlog of tens of thousands of rape kits or something. That just seems so weird. I don't know. I send, right. I send blood work to the lab every day almost. Like, it just gets done. I mean, it's a lab being paid for it. Like, I don't understand why there's a backlog when people are, do get money for doing this. So um, right. that's a whole other conversation. But the false rape accusation is uh, unraveled in court. And Matt Dillon, uh, Sam Lombardo, he gets a big settlement. Remember, I've never seen this film. So I think that this kind of poor guy, like, you know, he's been falsely accused of one of the worst crimes you can do. Even though he's innocent, um, the guy is driven out of town and, you know, you understand like, ah, poor guy, I guess, you know, he got his money, maybe he'll be able to rebuild or something. And he's living in a sleazy motel. And when he goes in the motel room, uh, he notices that the window is open. 
And I'm like, uh-oh, there's someone breaking in there. And it's Denise Richards. And I'm thinking, oh, she wants to kill him because he took, like, all of her money, like, all of her trust fund money. And it turns right. out, no, she, like, jumps in his arms and is like, I can't believe we did it. We did it. We did it. I can't believe our story worked. And I'm like, ah, so it was a fake uh, rave story. And then then comes Susie and Nev Campbell, and all three of them were in on it. And I'm like, oh, you know, I mean, it wasn't out of total left field because I knew eventually there would be a three and you know they all celebrate their wins of champagne bottles and then hubba hubba right right it's a sexy threesome denise richards does nudity nev campbell does not nev campbell was on party of five you know that's kind of a family show so she wasn't going to do nudity and denise richards was uh, more comfortable doing it right right then there's another sexy scene later where it's just Nev Campbell and Denise Richards, and they're in the pool. Susie is very upset because Duquette is trailing her and asking all of these questions. Kelly needs to calm her down. And how does she calm her down? With uh, some sweet, sapphic love. And Kevin Bacon is watching all of this in the bushes, and he's, like, video recording it on the world's biggest camcorder, because this is the 90s, of course. Also, the, the phone that they're using in that scene, I guess it's, like, some waterproof cordless phone that just is laughable looking today 25 years later i think it's supposed to be like a rich person impressive thing in 1998 but now you're just like ah that's stupid looking Oh, it's definitely a, a rich person flex. Like I noticed the there's one part in their high school, and you kind of imply that there's uh, rich people and not rich people in this high school. Like Nev Campbell comes from, she lives in like the trailers, and uh, Denise Richards' character lives in a, a huge mansion. And there is a distinct flip phone, cell phone tone. And just one random scene that kind of in the background, this one picks it up and. It's because that's the one of the beautiful rich girls picking up a cell phone. It was very, very like only rich people had cell phones in uh, in 1998. I didn't have a cell phone. Did you? No, I didn't get a cell phone until after 9-11, which is, right. I think that was kind of a cliche at the time. You know, like that day I had to borrow other people's phones to call my family to tell them I was okay. And after that, I got one of my own. In college, it was like a thing that, yeah, kind of like the, the rich kids, the spoiled kids had. It was not super common. Right, like when we reviewed Clueless, uh, which is from, I don't know, 94, 95, maybe 96. But the fact that those girls had cell phones was definitely like, this is what girls in Beverly Hills have and other people do not. Right. But so ultimately, Duquette goes to see Kelly and he, quote unquote, accidentally kills her. And after that, he is fired from the police force. He loses his pension. Even though they say that his killing of her was justified, he's fired because he didn't listen to orders. And my first thought about that from a test of time perspective was like, um, no, cops kill innocent people all the time and usually get away with it. Sometimes maybe they get fired. Very rarely do they lose their pension. But then I was like, no, 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 Alan. They get away with killing black people all the time, and it's no big deal. Maybe they get a slap on the wrist. He kills a beautiful, young, rich, white girl, and then he's fired and loses his pension. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that there would be immediate swift consequences for that. Now and then. Right. And uh, before this scene, before Kelly was killed, Kelly and Lombardo, they lure Susie to like uh, one last night together. And then um, Susie and Sam Lombardo, they go around the corner and it seems like Lombardo murders Susie, like bludgeons her to death. And we later learn uh, that uh, this was a faked uh, death scene, but Kelly is now under the assumption that it's just the two of them. And so when Kelly's knocked off, it's really uh, just one of them left. And me, as the viewer who's never seen this film, I don't know that Susie is in fact alive. So the movie pretty much has closed all the loose ends to me. And we now find Sam Lombardo in the Caribbean. And I kind of think, I didn't really think the movie was going to end here, but I was like, I wonder if they're going to give it one of those endings where like, the bad guy just you know sips a pina colada on the Caribbean uh, you know, shore, and that's not what happens here because Sam goes back to his uh, hotel room and he goes to his suite and he sees somebody's in the shower, and it's Kevin Bacon, but not just Kevin Bacon. <laughs> 
you cannot accuse this film of exploiting just a you know female nudity. There is a full frontal scene of Kevin Bacon uh, when he's coming out of the shower. I was not expecting that. Apparently, Kevin Bacon wasn't really expecting that. He figured that uh, Matt Dillon blocked his penis in the shot so that you wouldn't actually see it. He said that he had a no nudity clause, although you can clearly see his butt like that's, you know, that's there for a couple of seconds. He had to know that people were going to see his ass, but he was also a producer on the movie. So he was like, well, after my penis was in it, I could have gotten mad and sued the producers, but then I'd be suing myself. He seemed to have like a good sense of humor about it of like, oh, yeah, you can see my dick. Okay, there it is. You know, like it it didn't really bother Bacon, even though it wasn't officially planned. To me, that just seems like really dumb on the part of the director and editor. Like you don't want to surprise someone with something like that. Yes, uh, but to be fair, as a producer on the film, my opinion is that the truth is probably somewhere halfway between these two. Like, he didn't know it was filmed, but there is no way that this was not left in the film without Kevin Bacon's explicit blessing. And also, this could have been cut around so easily. They could have just sure. been, like cut out one frame here. So I think, you know, it's probably when an innocent mistake that becomes one of those, hey, I don't mind the way I look here. And uh, it's only like half a second. So half the people watching it are not going to notice it. And in the theater, they might be like, did I just see that? And, uh, you know, because you're going to get several shots of uh, Denise Richards. Kevin Bacon is blinking, you miss it. Right. And this comes out in 1998. The internet is still young. DVD players are still young. But VCRs are still a thing. So people could freeze frame a shot, you know, once it comes on home video and then put it online. I think there was some awareness of if there is nudity on film, it will live forever at this point. I think if I'm remembering right, and I very well may be getting the facts of this wrong, like in the very first Bond movie in Dr. No, the Bond girl is like fully naked, but for like a fraction of a second. And like, you'd really have to be like pausing it to really see anything. And at the time, eh, you know, no one's going to see it. No one's going to have any way to preserve those few frames. But of course, now that's very easy to do. So I think, you know, in 1998, his penis could be preserved. His penis could be preserved. <laughs> I mean, ChatGPT didn't predict we were going to talk about that. Um, also, by the way, there was a scene where Lombardo gets into the shower with Duquette and they have a sexual tryst there, which kind of makes sense in that there's a gay women scene. Why not have a gay men scene? But apparently some of the producers were skittish about that and didn't want to include that in the movie whatever. They go sailing and Lombardo pretty quickly kills Duquette. I saw this movie before, so I was expecting it, but it's pretty well telegraphed that that's what's going to happen. Were you at all shocked by that quote unquote twist where Lombardo kills Duquette on the boat? Oh, absolutely not. I was like, why would you go in international waters on a boat with a killer? Like, are you insane? I knew that Duquette was not surviving that if he was stupid enough to go on that boat. But right. um, I did not expect Susie to be alive, uh, Nev Campbell's character, just as uh, Duquette is about to uh get the upper hand, uh, Susie shoots him with uh, one of those spear guns and uh, he falls in the ocean, presumably to his death. Then Susie and uh, Lombardo, they celebrate their victory. And then finally, she poisons him. And then he's kind of uh, loopy. And then she she uh, does one of the like the sails and one of the like, uh, one of the beams knocks him into the ocean. Right. Those last two quote unquote twists are so stupid. You see them coming a mile away and the characters do too. Like Duquette should know that he's going to be killed. Like you said, also Lombardo knows that Susie's going to poison him. She hands him the drink and he looks at it and is like, Hmm. And she's like, I can't kill you. I don't know how to sail. But then it's revealed that she does know how to sail. I mean, these twists happen within like a couple of minutes of screen time and they're not twists. You you expect them. As soon as you see that Susie's there and she hands him the drink, you know she's going to kill him. I found those last two twists to be like really anticlimactic. I did think uh, it was incredibly stupid of Sam to take the drink. Earlier in the Caribbean, when Lombardo gives Duquette a can of beer, 
Duquette looks at it like, should I even drink this? And the obvious solution is you take Sam's drink. This isn't a Princess Bride situation. They don't know that you're going to switch it so that you're going to switch it back. He should not have taken that drink from her. And I thought that was incredibly stupid, knowing that everyone is double-crossing everyone. So right. you should kind of expect that. It's not like one of those, like, they were in the whole time. Like, dude, you've, you've betrayed every single person. Why do you think this last person isn't betraying you? Right, right. And then the movie ends with Susie does get away with it. It's sort of like you were saying earlier about like, I didn't know how the movie was going to end. Does the bad guy just get away with it and drink a Mai Tai on the beach? Yeah, that's basically what happens. Susie is the bad guy. Bill Murray shows up to just be like, here's all your money. I hope I don't ever piss you off. But I'm bummed. I did notice that uh, Bill Murray's character takes a sip of a drink as he leaves, but I I don't think that was anything there. I think, you know, she needs a partner, so she might do the scam again. So the movie ends there, and I'm thinking this was enjoyable, but a lot of what I'm thinking, a lot of deus ex machina. Like, suddenly, okay, I guess Susie isn't dead, and like, and she has a spear gun. I'm like, "Uh, that's, that's kind of like convenient and then in the in the credits the film answers all of these little uh, plot holes it basically redoes the film but shows you all these little scenes that you never saw before like we see uh duquette uh, meeting lombardo and Susie planning with lombardo i thought that was very clever it changed the film for me at the very end i was like oh okay that this was uh it was the plot the entire time Otherwise, I thought it was really just kind of a little bit weak writing. And I thought that was good at the end that they closed a number of holes, not all the holes. I might even argue that they do close all of the holes because it does make sense once you have all of this extra information. I was confused watching this movie because I remembered that Duquette was in on it. So then while I was watching the movie, I'm like, why is he going over to Susie and like threatening her and getting in her head? And then she freaks out. If the two of them are working together, this is stupid. But then in the mid credit scene, you find out that Duquette didn't know that Susie was the real mastermind. And I guess you kind of get that like on the boat too, like when he sees her and he's like, but you're supposed to be dead. So for everything to make sense, you really kind of have to spend a little bit of time thinking about not just who was plotting against who, but who knew what and who knew that who was in on it. So when you connect all of the dots, I was thinking about this. I do think it all works, but it is kind of maybe a flaw of the movie that it needs to have like these post-credit scenes to explain everything for everything to make sense like shouldn't that happen within the movie itself or maybe that's splitting hairs if it does happen in the movie if it's just scenes once the credits have started to roll who cares i don't know maybe it's not that big of a deal no i think it's a specific creative decision on the part of the director in fact i think a weaker film would have shown you all of those scenes in sequential order and you would have just watched the double cross happen in in real time no that doesn't work at all it didn't necessarily have to be at the after the credits started rolling because i always worry when there's credits like maybe someone walked out of the theater and didn't get to see this or they just turn off the dvd or something uh that's true i probably would have had it as Susie is uh piloting the boat uh is it piloting driving driving the boat yeah she's driving the sailing boat no the no end. he he corrects her and says you sail this boat That's you don't correct. drive it so as Susie's sailing the boat it could have zoomed in on her and and we can kind of see all the flashbacks that would have made sense too I mean, maybe i would have done that before the credits just so people didn't uh you know accidentally miss it but i did like that they just threw it to you all at the end. And I actually watched the credit scenes twice. I didn't quite get in the first uh, little scene, like, why are we seeing uh, Lombardo uh, having sex with Kelly? I-, I didn't quite get that. But when I watched it a second time, I'm like, oh, okay, Kelly thinks she's the mastermind with Lombardo, and Lombardo thinks he's the mastermind, but really, it's all Susie. To be fair, it says the end on screen, and then right away it goes into that first reveal scene. So even if you were getting out of the theater, the second the end came up, you would have stopped once that first scene you know, started to play. Like, you wouldn't have left the theater that quickly. Although you're Not, right about the DVD. You you could have hit stop and then you would have no idea. Yeah, and you would change from HBO and uh, you know, turn that channel off. You're not necessarily going to watch the credits. So I wouldn't have kept that in the home release. Um, I may have seen the unrated cut because 
there was something I read about this online, and I had seen this scene, and I guess it was cut from the theatrical cut, but the final plot hole that maybe, uh, if you've never seen the unrated version, is why does Susie kill Lombardo? Do you know why she kills him? Well, the the reason that the movie gives is that she was mad at him because they were friends and then she was arrested and he didn't come to help her. And so that's why she blackmails him in the first place. But then, yeah, wh- why bother keeping him alive? What's the point? Yeah, and that's, that's what the uh, theatrical cut uh, implies to you. There's another little scene where the other detective, uh, Gloria Perez, she goes back to Susie's grandmother back in like the Everglades and like the the poor area of town. And it's revealed that Susie is weirdly like she's actually due to like an affair that had happened years earlier. She's related to this family somehow. Susie is actually entitled to the money that Kelly was going to have in her trust. So it's a weirdly unnecessary scene that turns out that uh, Susie's related to Kelly and she wanted to kill her because she always had to grow up in like the poor area while her half-sister cousin something or other was living a life of uh, luxury. See, that's interesting. And no, that scene was not on my DVD, so I did not see that. But also, I kind of feel like that's unnecessary I understand Susie's motivations without that. She's a poor girl. She's living in this rich world and she wants a a big break. And all of these people have fucked her over one way or another. Lombardo wasn't there for her. Duquette killed her friend. Kelly was mean to her. I can understand why she would want to kill all of those people and take the money. That's fine. Lombardo's motivation, I understand, because Susie is blackmailing him. Kelly's motivation, I understand, because she's a rich girl who's had it pretty easy, but also her dad killed himself and she's mad and pissed at the world with that. And she's an unstable teenager. So I buy that. The only person whose motivation I don't understand is Duquette's. Why does Duquette go along with this plan? Because he's a cop who doesn't make a lot of money and now he's going to get his share of $8.5 million. He's a cop who doesn't make a lot of money. Really? In this really rich town, it seems like everyone's doing okay The only explanation the movie gives is that, oh, he's a crooked cop. That's what Susie says. And like, all right, but if he's a crooked cop who really likes abusing his power as a policeman, wouldn't he want to stay on the force and be a crooked cop who can abuse anyone he wants and get away with it? He gives up his job as a cop. He gives up his pension, which is usually pretty nice for police officers. And like his name is ruined. Yeah, he's going to have a payday, but he's going to be living anonymously on some island somewhere. I feel like his motivation is really, really thin. I think a deleted scene that explains why he would want to do this, that would have been more appropriate, I think. It's for money. I mean, a cop's pension is one of the better pensions, but I mean you're getting like half your salary for the rest of your life. I mean, get half of $8.5 million. That is the better financial play. That's why he does it. I don't know. I just felt like that could have been fleshed out. Yeah. Um. You know, one thing you mentioned there, and I was going to ask you at the end, it's a total passing sentence, but do you think there's a backstory to Kelly's father killing himself? Or do you think maybe he didn't quite kill himself? Because this mother is like, she she seems to barely care about him. And like, she seems to be very, very uh, happily single from what we see. She's like having sex with someone in like every scene. Um, yeah. And I, I wonder if there was some like, you know, backstory that they don't really tell us about. I was kind of waiting for that because I hadn't seen this movie in many years. And I was thinking about that of like, oh, is there more to that part of the story? And there isn't. The only backstory that they kind of get into is Susie's friend Davey that Duquette killed. And that's mildly interesting, but it's also just kind of brushed aside with like two sentences of exposition. I was like, oh, I kind of thought there was going to be more to that. Like maybe this friend Davey who was quote unquote killed was really the kid that uh, Lombardo was teaching about sailing earlier and we just didn't realize it or something like that. Like there was going to be another twist on top of a twist and there isn't. That's all just brushed aside. Right, and we see in this film when uh, Duquette fakes Kelly's uh, murder, he fakes it to look like she shot him as well. Yeah, just grab the dad's gun and, you know, do whatever you need to do to him, but then use his fingerprints to make him pull the trigger on his own head. Like, they imply in this film that the people in this movie know how to fake someone's death. So I thought it was going somewhere there, but uh, but ultimately didn't. 
And, you know, the, the big loser in this film, the one that I, I kind of felt bad for is actually Kelly's mom. Because this poor woman, she actually did, a, you know, a good mother thing. Like when her daughter says that she's raped and she is going scorched earth against this Lombardo guy who like a second earlier was like having a huge crush on but she's like fuck this piece of shit he's going down and then not only is she humiliated when her daughter has you know made them out to be the liars she has to give up eight and a half million dollars which is a lot of money even for rich people and then her daughter is killed in her own house by a cop who gets away with it and I'm like, oh, this this poor woman, unless maybe she killed her husband and, you know, she gets her comeuppance at the end. But she's the only, like, huge tragedy in the film. Everyone else who dies in this film kind of deserved it. I disagree with that. I also feel bad for Kelly because, yeah, she has done bad, unethical things in right. this movie. But she's a kid. And she had no idea anyone would be killed. You're right. Right, right, right. And she's a kid who's mourning her father who committed suicide. And yeah, she's obnoxious and yeah, she's spoiled and yeah, she does all of the scamming things in this movie to rip off her mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She She's not a kind-hearted person. I understand that. But she's also a kid. So I, I feel bad for her. I think she deserves some sympathy too. Yeah, that's that's true. And Lombardo, to, to make an argument, his biggest crime was uh, stealing the eight and a half million from Kelly's mom. He also, it's revealed, he had no intention of anyone getting killed. He wanted Kelly like framed. He argues with uh, Duquette, like, why the hell did you kill her? You were just supposed to frame her. But then again, he was going to throw Kelly in jail. That makes him evil. But uh, it didn't seem like he wanted her killed. No, he didn't want her killed. However, that's not his biggest crime. He's also a rapist. He is having an affair with Kelly. In that post-credit scene, Susie shows the pictures of the two of them having sex and he's giving her cocaine. So he is having a statutory affair with a child. Right. Assuming she is not an 18-year-old senior. Uh, yes, you're right. That yeah. being said, um, Kelly uh, and uh, Susie, they're both played by actresses in their mid-20s. Well, I, I think that is actually like a valid point that you bring up, James, because these are supposed to be high school students. Therefore, if you're buying the logic that this movie is selling you, they are children. I think at one point they say that they're 17, I, I think. Okay, then that clinches it because, I mean, they could easily be 18-year-old seniors, but if they said 17, right. there you go. I think so. And so, like, if you buy that, then, yeah— the fact that Lombardo is having an affair with Kelly, yes, that makes him a rapist. That sexy threesome, yeah, that's actually, you know, child pornography. But it's okay for the movie because, yeah, these actresses are 24 and 27 in real life. They are not children. As you watch the movie, they don't look like children. They look like women in their 20s. So that kind of takes away some of, like, the quote-unquote badness of it. But, you know, again, if you follow with what the movie is telling you, these are high school students, then yeah, this is all creepy as fuck. Lombardo is accused of being a rapist, and then it is revealed that he's not. He is exonerated publicly, but then, yeah, he actually is. He really is a rapist if he's having a quote-unquote consensual relationship with a child he is a rapist. And it's different from the story that Kelly tells of like him pinning her to the ground and holding her arms and, and forcing himself in her. No, she wanted to have sex with him, but she's still a child. And that also kind of ties into that question you asked about, like, why does Susie kill Sam? I was wondering like, oh, maybe she's like a hyper feminist, you know, like, hey, I didn't like Kelly. Kelly was a spoiled brat. But she was still a child and you raped her. And so that's why you deserve to die. But that's not implied at all. That is pure, to use your phrase, headcanon. The movie doesn't show you that at all. That might just be me thinking of another movie. I think I asked you about this. You, you said you didn't see Promising Young Woman, right? No, I haven't seen that. Okay. That is not in this movie at all. That is a whole separate thing. But James, let me ask you, do you think that Wild Things stands a test of time? Um, I really thought that this film was going to be five or six gratuitous sex scenes that were completely unnecessary. And I have not seen the sequels, but my guess is that the sequels probably focus more on the uh, sex scenes. I knew Nev Campbell, Matt Dillon, and uh, 
Denise Richards. But I didn't know Bill Murray was in it. Bill Murray's fun and he's funny, but he's also a very professional, good actor. And he plays the, even the, the serious, the straight parts, he plays them very well. I didn't know there was a, a twist here. So, you know, he's kind of a, he's a sleazy lawyer, but, you know, he helps exonerate. And he's a good courtroom litigator and... Um, Matt Dillon's a good actor Nev Campbell's good Denise Richards she's perfectly fine in this film I think everyone is very good at what they do the plot uh, of the film was cliche and a little deus ex machina until they explained it all at the end which I really appreciated it does hold up and I thought this was just going to be you know relying on the sex scenes and it really doesn't it's, it's, it's a thriller I did think it was a, a good film so yeah it does stand the test of time uh, what do you think Al? well First off, I need to talk about Bill Murray. To me, it's great that you didn't know he was in it. I remembered that he was like barely in it and he's in it for a decent chunk of the movie. He's not one of the main stars, but he has a sizable small role. Like a, it, it's not one of those supporting roles where they're like on screen for like two minutes. He's in this movie a lot and he is great. He is so goddamn funny. There are so many little things he does in this movie that I'm guessing are improvised. I don't have any proof of that. He never said it in an interview, but I have to assume that the best parts of this movie are improvised. When he walks into jail with Lombardo and he just points at like some random other person in jail and is like, hey, Jinxie, because he knows him because he's a sleazy lawyer. That's hilarious. When they're in court and is it the bailiff, I think, or someone who's like, all rise. <laughs> and then Bill Murray turns to Lombardo. And he's like, okay, we got to stand up. And then the bailiff says, all right, everyone be seated. And then Bill Murray's like, okay, we can sit down now. You know, that that's such a small little moment, but it's really, really funny. Delivered in classic Bill Murray style you know he's using the intercom in his office to talk to his uh secretary like for no reason because their office is very small and the secretary can hear him it's classic comedy bill murray and last week we talked about rushmore which came out the same year 1998 but that was like later 1998 this is early 1998 and i i almost sort of feel like this is kind of like the dividing line in his career. Wild Things and before is like silly, wacky, zany Bill Murray. And then Rushmore and Beyond is more of like the dramedy, more serious Bill Murray, his like kind of second career. I really think we we found the line there. Uh, and we did the movies out of order chronologically on the podcast, but whatever, doesn't really matter. Um, you know, in terms of it standing the test of time, I think there is sort of still an appetite for movies and honestly TV shows too, where there's a mystery and something terrible happened in this small town. But what happened? Who died? Who is the killer? Is there more to this story? There was Big Little Lies that kind of teased out this mystery over on an entire season. There was The Undoing that did something very similar. Did you watch that movie Red Notice with a... Uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Gal Gadot and Ryan Reynolds. I, I did see it. Uh, I remember that I remember nothing about it. The only thing I remember about it was that, like, there were all of these twists and turns that, like, I remember thinking, like, wait, that doesn't make any sense. If that person was really in on this from the beginning, then why did they do that? And maybe it does make sense if you really think about it. I think I was kind of only half paying attention to that movie. But those kinds of stories do stand the test of time. I think there is an appetite for them. I do kind of think it's more on the TV side than movies now, just because you can tease it out for a little bit longer. But even Glass Onion, you know, like, that's a mystery. Mysteries work. But... The reason that I think Wild Things does not stand the test of time is because it's about an adult having sex with kids, and that's really kind of brushed aside, or honestly, maybe not even brushed aside, but like the beginning of the movie, it kind of plays into this idea that these women accuse this man of rape and he's innocent, and he is exonerated. And sometimes these rape claims, they're just made up because girls are looking for attention. And even though it turns out that there's more to the story in Wild Things, I think that, as like the key driver of the plot, doesn't stand the test of time. I don't think you would make a movie like that today where this rape isn't real, these girls were faking it, they're just pretending to be victims. Does that happen sometimes? Yeah, but far more frequently, women are assaulted and then don't come forward. 
I feel like liberal Hollywood would not greenlight a movie where that is like a key plot element. And Lombardo does die in the movie, but he doesn't really get comeuppance for being a statutory rapist, for having a affair with one of his students. That's really evil. And, you know, it's kind of just like, oh, yeah, that also happened. You kind of forget about it. And I'm not giving you shit for it at all, James, honestly. But when you were like, oh, the worst thing he ever did was stealing the money. Like, no, no, you forgot that the worst thing he did was having the statutory relationship because the movie kind of brushes it aside. Like, it's, that's on you for, for kind of forgetting that. The movie doesn't treat it as a big deal. And I think it is a big deal. And I think that because of that, the movie wouldn't get made today. I guess the counterpoint would be like, okay, so change it all to college and not high school, and then it's fine. And maybe, but I think still just like the made-up rape thing makes this ickier and not stand the test of time. So I'm going to say no, even though I did enjoy watching Bill Murray in this movie and watching Bill Murray two weeks in a row, Rushmore, and then this movie. You know, one thing I'll say is that false rape accusations are are still made in uh, movies today. Uh, There was a very uh, critically acclaimed film. I don't know if you ever saw it. um, If Beale Street Could Talk... I did not see that. That was about a false rape accusation. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, a little more gritty. It's not uh, like wild things. But um, I found it more, this is not a flaw of the film. It's it's a flaw of the character. But it is a flaw of the movie where they present you with this sexy, sexy threesome with two children. And again, they're not really children in real life. We understand that. But in the movie's logic, they are children. And that is a flaw of the movie. I see what you mean. Also, you know, the murder. That's also mean of them, too. <laughs> yeah, sure, 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 sure. But, like, you're supposed to feel bad about the characters who are murdered, or mostly. Um, that, to me, makes it not stand the test of time. Maybe uh, you could take a look at Wild Things 2, or Wild Things colon Diamonds in the Rough, or the previously mentioned Wild Things colon Foursome. Maybe those are a little bit better. <laughs> they would fix the problems that you have with Wild Things. Because according to uh, Wikipedia, it says, quote, the sequels recycled much of the plot, dialogue, and direction from the first film, albeit with different actors. All three films take place in Blue Bay, as well as its high school, Blue Bay High School. So then they don't fix any of the problems if they all take place in Blue Bay High School. Set it at Blue Bay College. Blue Bay University. Right. This is all fictional. Make it up. It Unless they talk about like, oh, we're having our 18th birthday uh, celebration. Like they're overtly saying that's so that they can have the high school thing, but uh, but also 18. You're right. Just make them college freshmen. Just make yeah. them sorority girls. And it's a it's an inappropriate, but not like statutory rape professor. Exactly. Chat GPT could fix this. You know, like it is not that hard. It takes place in the summer after they graduated. There you go. You know, they're they're still not college and they're still just hanging around in Florida. Yeah, there's so many ways to fix this. Really? There really are. And apparently the sequels don't. No, I will never watch them ever. But that's going to do it for us this week. Come back next week when special guest Eddie Perez Cortez is going to return to the show to talk about Snatch, the 2000 Guy Ritchie movie starring Brad Pitt that I have never seen. I'm looking forward to seeing that movie and talking with our friend Eddie about it. Until then, we want to hear from you guys. We are at Test of Time Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Write to us. Let us know what you think about Wild Things and Blue Bay, Florida, and Kevin Bacon's penis and Denise Richards' boobs and whatever, whatever you want to talk to us about. We love hearing from you. And we'll see you next time, everybody. It's just like ChatGPT said. And though they may disagree, their friendship is as strong as can be. Aww.